Hey, I'm Parker Lennon. And this is Chuck Stack. And you're listening to Fat Fitness. Use fitness as a goal for something we wanted to do, and it allowed us to do things like rock climbing and surfing and, and do it in a fun way. Things you should question yourself about before you compete. Everybody's different. And yeah. so if you think you're going to be just like that study, or you think you're going to fall directly into that category, you're probably wrong. I follow doctors and certain trainers that are PhDs and yeah. stuff so that I can get what they're doing their research on. High game is the relentless pursuit of meeting new people. Yeah. <laughs> this or, is like killing a million little organisms at a time. I was in a really bad place, but what got me through was fitness, number one. And secondary was meditation and really good friends, of course. Usually the ops with me. They're like, You're married, you can't it doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah, it really Your doesn't. life is over. Yeah. I, I think that I, it's like after kids, I'll, you will be done. I'll be done. No, like, dude. I'll Look have... at Doctor Jarich. Like, yeah, right. He's dude. he's got kids and he's killing it. He's such a great example of of like like you said, business professionalism of you know racing still of being a father. Yeah, it's just there's so many elements, and from our podcast, you can really feel that from him. You know, like it's just we didn't even know where to start. This yeah. dude's just amazing, and his his mindset is just so similar to how we think. And it's solid, like, solid. And, and he, the thing that's good about him too is he knows how to how to get other people to understand that. You know, yeah, he's a and psychologist to, to relate with that too. Yeah, so it's it was really cool to have him on the podcast. We went over so many things between motivation and uh, the process and, you know, likes and dislikes and sponsorships. I mean, it was all it, about you, BMX. You don't, yeah, it was a lot about BMX, but you don't have to be and or follow BMX to really understand uh, a lot of what was said in the yeah. podcast. So um, I think it's just some solid material. And, you know, I mean, the dude's an MBA and it's ID. So yeah, can't, can't say much about a, a about his where he's coming from so yeah so we're gonna put his information in the show notes but um he's trying to make a um big social media push he's got his own podcast the gold medal mindset um he says it at the end but we'll say it here now um great episodes we both listen to a bunch of them he has a book out um called it's all bs yeah there's more to it but i always mix up the, yeah, the title but you'll find it it's find dr it. j rich or dr jason richardson mm -hmm. is uh, the author of that and uh, I think he has a co-author as well yes. in that as well. So it, there's a little bit of there's like I said, it it's BMX related, but it's it's not at the same time. I mean, I think well, any, his book is mostly like it's it's very much for the regular person. Yeah, it is, and but at the same time, it it there really rings out to yeah. to the BMX crowd, and and I think it it enlightens people on a lot of the positives that people get and take from BMX and. Um, you know, just really how they can use those tools to better their lives and their Absolutely. mindset. It's the same things that we kind of um, try to influence you guys on thinking about as far as the mindset that goes into the sport that we came from. Um, and we've applied it more to the fitness industry and our clientele. And he does that um, in a, a massive way with uh, guest speaking uh, and he wants to continue to expand upon that so the best way to help him is go subscribe to his podcast give him a good review um and listen to this and leave some comments um and get to him he said he said he's really easy to get a hold of he's definitely easy to get a hold of because he got Super back to quick us response like, time. yeah like yeah. 
that day. And one of the most down to earth professional. I mean, yeah. this is a guy that I looked up to for years, you know, just on the BMX circuit and for decades for yeah, literally. And, uh, it, it's just cool to hear, um, you know, to speak to him one on one for this amount of time and just to really get a feel for what he's all about. So yeah, we really appreciate his time. Um, thanks man. Hope you like the podcast. And we might couch it up at your house. Yeah, we might have to come up. ride Big Bear. <laughs> All right. So without further ado, this is Dr. Jason Richardson. I'm at my office now, which is rare. Okay. But I've been record I've been recording at home, which is funny because like it's summertime and the kids are outside at my yeah. window. <laughs> like the trampoline is like right by my window. So it's oh, like, yeah. <laughs> at any moment you can hear a, a yelp or a cry or a you know, whatever. They backflip off and, and land on their head. No, not yet. <laughs> They've got no, your genes, so um, they're probably going to be a little bit crazy, right? Um, one is, well, they have my genes, but also, so I have a brother, and you should be recording this. This is the good shit right here. I am. I already the, am the recording green, it. The green room stuff. <laughs> so I have a brother, I have a brother, and he he's the one who who probably has more natural ability and lets it lets it fly. And so my my youngest kind of from a from a way approaches things is more like him and my oldest is more like me from approach. So my oldest son is more conservative, my youngest is not, but my oldest is probably a bit more naturally talented and my youngest is is not. So it's kind of a, an interesting mix. So one charger in this podcast. One. Yeah, I'm gonna say stir, stir in the pot. With them. Yeah, well, you know, that when they're old enough, they'll know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, so they'll own it. You you are a doctor of psychology, correct? Correct. So not PhD. It's a PsyD. PSYD. PhD sure. is okay. is more like research oriented. And honestly, like from a marketing standpoint, I probably should have gotten the PhD. But when I went back to school, I just I wanted to become a licensed psychologist as fast as possible because I went back to school at 34. So the program that best fit all my needs at the time was the PsyD program. Sure. Okay. We, we feel that because I'm actually, I just enrolled at USF to go back to uh, get my uh, PA. So I'm going to nice. be in medical. Yeah. And cool. I'm, I'm working on the PhD track and getting into the graduate program and, and stuff of that nature, more in the research science base and, um, want to do the the sports research and kind of a little cool. kinesiology, a little bit of genetic stuff, but um, nice, but yeah, nice. So we can feel you and in that sense that, that we're both 30 and yeah, we've all been both. 30 and in school and college and, and yep. just grinding away at it with full time with work and being entrepreneurs, all of us, you know, as well. So <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, we, it's funny how, to me how BMXers share a lot of the same tendencies, you know, in just, uh, lifestyle and professionalism and, and just everything, you know, it's, 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 pretty cool to see how a similar upbringing has a similar result. Yeah. Yeah. So you said USF, is that university of San Francisco? That's no, uh, South, Florida. South Florida, but the, yes, South there is, okay, there is San Francisco. Too. Yeah, right. So you're in Carlsbad, right? I'm in Carlsbad, San Diego. So is university of South Florida, is that a Jesuit school? No, no. That, <laughs> okay. no. There, there is, there is a Jesuit school, um, in Tampa. Um, Okay. However, not at uh, University of South Florida is a state college. So yeah, got it. It's um, okay. It's a it's growing. It's a big school now. Uh, yeah. They have a strong research uh, base, and they're 
intertwined with Moffitt and yeah, Moffitt uh, Johnson like one and of the Johnson and some of the other bigger companies around oh, nice. the area. You know, and just research nice. and medical, all yeah. sorts of stuff. So, so the reason why I asked uh, if you're in Carlsbad, and I gathered that from your uh, podcast, and and I think you say it in your book maybe or something. Um, but uh, I was in San Diego for three and a half years. I actually oh, just moved back okay. a year ago. Where where were you? Uh, mostly La Jolla and Pacific Beach, you know, yeah. party place. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to guess that, but I didn't want to assume. So. Hey, that's okay. It's okay. All right. So, do you, okay. So, you know the green flash, right? Yes. Yes, I do. I, have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, you uh, oh, you mean the you, actual green flash, not the brewery. Green flash as far as the, not the, the sunset? I'm okay. Not the, not the brewery. I'm talking about the actual green flash when the sun sets, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, yeah, I've yeah. never seen it. I think it's a crock. I don't think I don't, it's a... I don't think... No. I, I think it's like a lot it. of stuff. If, if you take certain images through a camera and you can catch a certain glimpse, you know, like a certain right. phenomenon or whatever that does cause that in a camera maybe, but... We've seen a lot of sunsets, and but San Diego I does have really some very it. unique sunsets. Yeah, like I can say that. Like there's some times where I'm like, "How is this happening?" I don't know if it's the proper amount of pollution or like <laughs> what it is, but like the town's radiating. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. Could be, but I, I'm. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've never I've, seen it. I've not. Neither have I. That's what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> no, we're, we're all yeah. non-believers. Shun the non-believers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So how do we kick this off? Are we kicked off? You know what? We just we're flowing with it, man. Like I, I think we've decided we we're gonna have some sort of questions that we want to ask you, but we're in it, man. Yeah, we usually okay. we're getting back in or we're getting into a kind of pre-podcast uh, introduction, you know, yeah. or post-podcast introduction, you know, so that we get kind of a a feel of what we talk about and everything, and have like a true good introduction for that way we're not awkwardly starting yeah because there's no good time you're like uh i don't know what to do with my hands yeah um yeah a little more editing on parker's side but yeah i don't edit that much though it's not that bad that's raw um so take it take it where you want to chuck so his questions i I guess like one thing that i was just uh, sam willoughby is a is a huge inspiration of mine you i watch I grew up racing BMX on NBL mostly. Um, I think mm-hmm. you raced mostly ABA, correct? Well, like that's through an your career, because so you kind of you raced both for a while, but I raced both all the time. Because here's the deal: I, my father lives in Vegas, and so and I, and my parents were divorced, so so we used to go visit my dad in Vegas every summer. So my brother started racing in Vegas, ABA. And then when we moved back to Jersey, my local track was EHT BMX. And we didn't know that, but it was literally like five miles from my house. And that was NBL. And I was so young. I I started, if I remember, like we had NBA trophies in our our house. I don't even even think I started racing. I think it might have been an NBA track that my brother started on. I'm not even sure. But I started when I was like five or six. So I just going back back and forth between Vegas and and Jersey I was doing ABA and MBL and then when I moved to then I ended up living it so I moved to Vegas in the middle of eighth grade and that's where I primarily raced ABA just because locale but we always had a strong NBL track in town Nellis BMX I did the California State Series some races NBL I did uh, and I always did just enough races to get me to the NBL Grands and then um 
when I turned pro, probably my first year I was ABA heavy. And then like that second year of my pro career, which is like 94, 95, 94, um, I was doing both. Okay. So NBL grants. So I, and I was always a fan of the NBL because the tracks were better. And, and then throughout a lot of my pro career, the payout was better and better dispersed. Yeah, no, well, that that's kind of leads right into what I was what I was getting at with that question is that how is the progression of the tracks now compared to, say, then when you were racing both sanctions and because um, we have a feel for the NBL. We raced mostly yeah. NBL our whole careers um, and because Florida really didn't have a lot of ABA tracks. Right, there were only a couple ABA tracks and there were 20 plus NBL tracks. So, right. uh and our our motos were our mains were stacked every single race because you know we had so many nbl people here yeah it, i mean it's just it, it's always been a lot a lot more people it's kind of like that where the sun shines year round that's where people want to ride yeah um, yeah but uh but the thing is is nbl seemed like it was bigger kind of burlier tracks and aba seemed like they were the fast technical tracks where I mean, you can make a big jump out of it, but a lot of times it was pedaling over jumps and, you know, pool manualing stuff a lot more yeah. than just boosting, you know, a pro set or, or double or yeah, whatever. Yeah, so let me, what's your era? Like what, how old are you guys? We're 30. I'm 30. So, okay. Part so I got 30, 10 years so. on you. All right. I, I'm just trying to get context here. Yeah. So, so we, you, we grew up racing you are in the correct. 90s. You are correct. So ABA tracks on the whole were on the smaller side um, and definitely ABA from a culture standpoint was more about competition. And, and it's not even because it's like they bred that culture it's because you literally, it was like first place got you out of the first round. Right. Right. So, so from just from that standpoint, you value getting first more, whether it's first moto, second moto or third moto, usually third moto is like two would go to the next round. But the point is you got a taste of first place and you got a taste of getting rewarded for that. Um, so, so, and, and the gates for, for whatever reason on the whole were narrower. Mm. Right. And then you had red, green go on red. So NBL, um, one, you, you had a, a, a whole slew of people that did not race year round, except for the Floridians. <laughs> right. Right. The gates yeah. were generally wider. The tracks are in more open spaces. Thus, more room to build bigger. So even if there weren't bigger jumps, you still could open it up down the straightaway. There was, there was maybe one, you know what I mean? That the paved turns because of the wet weather. Oh yeah. Um, so, so there was these, there was more pedaling high speed. The tracks were more fair. Um, you know, meaning you could, it was easier to win from outside lanes. And then as you know, both the sports started growing, ABA was looking at efficiency, in my opinion, efficiency, like can we run or how fast can we run race? How many? So they were really looking at it like right. numbers and data, which is sure. I respect that. And I think NBL was like, okay, you know, what can we do to attract? What can we do to, you know, to to build this up? Um, one of the fatal flaws of NBL, in my opinion, was that was from a competition standpoint, they didn't reward, you know, like I remember being a West Coast guy. Like I would, I would win some nationals, but not have as many points as some kid in like some moto that perfect his motos and didn't make the main. It killed yeah. me that that was like yeah, the impossible. The, well, like you're saying, the reward system was kind of backwards in that sense. Yeah, and uh, the it that's my knowledge. Even now, the ABA hasn't really changed much as far as point structure. Um, 
and they do the same points uh, to what I believe, correct? Like as far as mm-hmm. how you earn points in that nature. More or less, more or less, yes. Yeah. So you earn, and they've they've made some changes. Um, right. And in my opinion, I think those changes are to just garner more participation in okay. general. Right. Uh, and more, and in my opinion, more participation in the national series. But that's even changing. Um, but yeah, I mean the the NBL tracks. Sorry, I'm, I tried to get rid of a message that popped up. Here we go. That's all right. The NBL, track, yeah, the NBL did have bigger tracks on the whole but culturally two different sanctions. And I was very aware of that because when I lived on the East coast, you know, I, I, you know, I went to, uh, you know, I I went to some of those East coast races. I went to South park in 86. I went to, um, cool tool raceway in, 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 um, New York. Uh, and, and I remember being like an NBL kid. And then I went and I went for one summer to Vegas to visit my dad and I came back and I, I put my, I had my brother's old kit and I came back with that. And then all of a sudden, like I noticed everybody thought I was a West coast rider. And from that point on, <laughs> like I, I didn't do anything different. I just went to the West coast, ra- raced a couple races and came home. And then everyone was like, Oh my gosh, he's, he's here. And it's like, uh, guys, it's, I'm still me, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but there was like, but there was like this like weird aura, right? Like, oh my God, he's a West coast rider. He's an ABA rider. Right. And then, and I would notice that all day long and I would, and I would, I, it, it was an amazing confidence builder, um, traveling back East because I knew that certain, you know, the race was, was mostly won. um, before I went in just, just based on how, on the approach. But I was also one of those kids that used to approach it like that until I went out West. And I was like, wait, like I'm still me, you know? So yeah. Interesting. And that was exactly where I was kind of getting at originally with this was with Sam Willoughby talked about like a, an attitude and a nature mm-hmm. and, and just a, how you carry yourself. And he was talking about how he can kind of pick up on certain riders and, and certain things. And he was talking about even Connor and a quiet Connor is a dangerous Connor. And mm-hmm. I mean, that stuff, it is stuff that I feel like is very, distinct in BMX. Like, you know, when somebody is on and you're like, dang, I, I'm not happy to be in the gate with this person right now. Right. And by the way, um, for the context of the podcast, you were talking about gold medal mindset, your podcast, right? Correct. Gold medal mindset. Yeah. Just want to plug that so that people knew exactly uh, what episode is that? Do you know? It's it's my I you know the newest, right? I don't keep, I don't keep track. It's It's a good one. I I listen to the whole thing. I stopped numbering them. I just am like that. That's this one. There you go. Cool, cool. No, well, it, it's a good podcast. I we we've, we've been a fan of a lot of the episodes and mm-hmm. everything. And growing up racing, we watched a lot of you guys. And mm-hmm. it's funny because even as a kid, I think that this the sport kind of teaches you to be observant in everybody that's around you. And, and For sure. even when you're watching the pros, you're sitting there thinking, oh man, this person's on fire today. Like this person is definitely winning. And you know, you put all your money on that person as a, as an amateur rider. And you know, the main can only be the thing that tells because it's, you never know what can happen in, in any given moto or race or, or right. lap. So, um, I it's think just you kinda, really interesting. It, it's cool too. Like, um, obviously, you know the psychology of it a little bit better, and I'm I'm sure that you look back, at, like you were just talking about, and you know the kids after you came back from the West Coast had a different mindset about you. They were looking at you differently based upon where you raced, and you kind of had this persona based upon that. And what do you think? Like, 
really influenced that mindset for them? I think, I think it was, it's, it stems from being, a, you know, especially back then, right. Where, where media, there wasn't social media. I think it, I think because the industry was in California, okay. all the quote unquote factory riders came from California or so you thought, um, you know, you open the magazine and it's like, you know, palm trees and BMX bikes and lake jumping and, you know, BMX Olympics. And it's always the same group of people. And man, do I have stories about how, why that is? If you want to ask me that, go um, ahead. You got you got an insider on this show. Like I'm so inside, it's crazy. Like you can get all it. the answers right now. But um, but no. So so you you know, and and you're sitting there like you know on a snow day looking at this magazine, right? <laughs> or or reading about this national that happened in California. Where else? You know, in February or something like that. And you're just like at home, cold. Like you just shoveled snow, or you just were waiting for the bus in in your neighbor's car because it was so cold, right? Well, well not so, us. But. I was going to say we need to burst your bubble. <laughs> yeah, well, you're in Florida, <laughs> we were but Floridian, in Jersey, so. we were doing Jersey. Jersey. Yeah. Well, but see, check it out. So Florida had was the you know it was like Florida and Texas, right? Th those places also had a lot of really fast, nationally uh, competitive riders. Like Eric Abadessa stepped up. I mean, you know, Adam yeah. Richard stepped up. No, we, we like, grew up Gant, in Sarasota, Florida. Yeah. So yeah. we saw a lot of those Percy. guys. Yeah. yeah Percy I was going to say, did you I know mean, Percy? Yeah. Percy was like <laughs> our, our, our hero. original, uh, hero, you know, <laughs> yeah. like the guy that we were just like floored. I actually, my first helmet was uh, a Percy Owens Hooters helmet. So <laughs> yeah. Was, so uh, Percy, Percy and I raced each other forever. I'm, I, so right now we would be racing each other. And in August I turn out of the class. So he's younger, okay. but we race each other quite a bit. Uh, I don't know when he popped in, but, but my point, but yeah. So, so back to the kind of just the regionalization of it, I think that's one reason why. And then the other reason why too, is you, you had a bunch of kids and like, I knew a kid in NBL, he was good. And he literally would go to the race, get his perfect and leave. Like, yeah. Like it wasn't even like I'm like what? Well, because like, in NBL we were probably heading to another two races. Yeah, we. <laughs> for the and he, day. Got, he got like, his points. He yeah, got his yeah. points. And so, we're talking a national, but that's that was the mindset there. Whereas in ABA, like I remember going for the amateur title in ABA, and like I'd get second at a national and was pissed because yeah. that 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 win didn't matter for points, not age group points. I'm talking like amateur number one points. Right. Yeah. So, and that breeds a different. Oh, it's it's definitely a much more competitive, like in in that sense, like because what right. we would do is we'd was, go three three uh we'd go double races, so we we hit a double race uh, Cape Coral and Ponta Gorda, and then we would race all weekend. We'd have our cap within a month. People be like, "How the hell did you do that?" And it's because we'd literally just travel, get our caps, and right. then we'd just sit back. And that's that was more like the state and regional, because there. I mean, yeah. when we grew up racing, there were states, regionals, there was a summer series, there was the, yeah, you know, there was, and and a lot of what I rode was just open races because. For one, I didn't want to turn pro, and for two, uh, it was you know there was just as much money in racing a lot of the open races around the state than it there is in in racing nationals and stuff like that. Yeah. So as far as expense and overhead, so no, I um, I remember that because I rode so when I rode for Giant for Mosh, um, that's like ninety five October of ninety five. Dude, does Mosh even exist anymore? No, no. So they but giant out, right? Does. <laughs> yeah, giant. Um, does. Giant does. Giant does. But 
That well, was, was like 95 to 99 or 2000. Yeah. But I remember my team manager, uh, Bill Grad, he was a team manager for a while for, for Mosh. We would, I would play with, like, we kind of joked about me racing the Florida State Series because it paid out so well and because it was such a good market to be in. Oh, like, yeah. you guys technically didn't need ABA or NBL because you were self contained. Right. Yeah. And, and that's where I was getting at with this is, the the community is so strong you know like the between the east coast the west coast the north the south you know it it's all a community we're we're meeting on this podcast because we have that similar community in right in just in common between all of us it's just mm-hmm. it's really neat how that community can can really push a group of eight riders, 10 riders to, to all win national titles or all win world titles, you know, just because they all hung out together, you know, and three or four of them lived yeah. together. And, you know, it's just, it's until you're not allowed to stay on their couch because your coach says not allowed anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not recommended. No. So you mentioned technology and being a coach on a psychology standpoint and stuff about uh, with some elite riders and everything, what do you think about technology being positive or negative as far as the influence on kind of like the training and because training's changed a lot in your, in your eras of racing. So um, just fill us in a little bit on like that, the influence yeah, of technology. Um, and, and, and I am very, as much as I'm aware of what's out there, I'm not aware of the particulars of it. And I, 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 somewhat make it a point not to be fully aware where it comes in, where it interferes with my work that I do with a rider is when they are dependent on, on technology to tell them how they're doing. Right. So, I, 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 so for me, I mean, I understand tracking and data. I, I understand that. Um, but it's when you're so caught up in it, that it becomes about the training and the numbers versus the racing and the results. That's go. where I have, that's where I have a problem with it. Um, I love it from the standpoint of, of what it's meant for, but it can be dangerous if, if it's not you, I don't say used correctly, but used with, with the understanding that there's human, right. That we're still human. <laughs> and, and that, you know, just because, just because your numbers showed X, it, it doesn't mean that you're going to win or lose. Really, it, it just it just lets you know how you've progressed. You know, if at all. I mean, there could be other reasons that affect those numbers. You're sick or whatever. You know, the Earth is at a different axis. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like there's so much more unexplainable. And so for me, when I work with a rider, I or anybody really, I want them to be open and prepared enough to where or not even prepared enough, but solid enough within themselves to where when they show up, despite how they feel or despite what the numbers say, that they have enough within them to say, I can still make this happen. That, that for me is the most important as far as, so that's the like training technology. As far as bike technology, I think um, a lot of BMX, BMXers are cavemen, to be honest with you. (laughs) <laughs> just rudimentary beating beating rocks against stuff and everything it, but it's just yeah like, <laughs> i take offense like, to that even, like honestly like the whole disc brake thing that just kills me like it oh yeah like, you don't need brakes it's like uh it's not to stop man like it's it's actually so you could be more accurate 
Right. And, you know, yeah. once you learn how to feather it, it's, exactly. yeah. Anyways. Yeah, yeah I was going to no, say, I take offense to that because I found out I have, like, 4% Neanderthal blood <laughs> on 23andMe. <laughs> no, just kidding. I, well, and that's another, they don't that's know another example of technology, though. Yeah. You know, like, with being in genetics and with that being my major and stuff, we've talked about this multiple times. It kind of brings up more questions than answers. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's mm -hmm. the biggest flaw in the psychological component and you can answer this better than me but that people get tied into is they get so obsessive over the numbers and like you say they don't focus on the results and the outcome of the the actual race and what they need to do and the process they need to build and just the stuff that they need to do to stay consistent you know and to actually win races and stuff so. and i yeah, think it's I think That's too, man, you said point. it pretty much like anecdote is, is something and like your self-awareness has a lot to do with how you perform. Totally, totally. And, you know, so this is the thing. It's, um, you know, Danny Nelson, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think he liked to ride that much in all honesty, but I know he liked to race. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and even towards the end, I don't even know if he liked to race, but, but we had a lot of candid conversations and I grew up racing him as an amateur as well. So, so we known each other a long time. Um, and me, I, I, didn't, I don't know that I necessarily liked to train, but I liked to race. Sure. And, and so if you follow, not a lot of these guys and girls, but if you follow a lot of these people on social, it's all about the training mm -hmm. and, it's easy to be good at training. I'm sorry. Like it just is, you know, like you're, you're going to start at a certain place and you will progress and you'll, you know, like, yeah, people get stronger. If you continue to lift heavy weights, like that's just, that's just what happens. It doesn't matter. Like, or can you execute once it's, once you're at the track, like, are you going to be, are you going to be head tripping because you're between Elise Post and Mariana Pajon? Are you going to be head tripping because you're in seven and Maris is in eight? You know, like, right. like that's, that's what it comes down to, you know, or, uh, so, so for me, that's, I think a, a big difference between my generation and where we are now is I think it's all about the training and less about the racing. And I like people to be process oriented, but, but make no mistake, you train to race. Otherwise, you know, you could like, you could do CrossFit games or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just beat the heck out of yourself every day. Seriously. I, you know what? Um, is that kind of what drove you to go more for the psychology um, pursuit? You know, like when you're going to school, is that was that it? So I went to – so I, uh, what drove me, nothing drove it to me. It literally was a conversation on an airplane. Really? So I – yeah, I got my undergrad in philosophy. That was going nowhere. Um <laughs> I shouldn't say it was going nowhere. I, I would use it, but it wasn't a, you know, it's not like a shingle, right? Yeah. I'm going to open up a philosophy company. Um, and then I got my MBA and I just didn't really use it because I was racing. So then when I broke my leg in 2006, uh, my second race back, I was on a flight coming back from New Mexico and they, and it was a couple sitting next to me on the airplane and they were coming back from a, like a psychology convention. The wife was a marriage and family therapist. The husband was a psychologist, a PsyD. And we just got to talking and I started, you know, my wheels started turning because I'd worked with a sports psychologist throughout my career. It was great. And then obviously I talk, obviously I listen. So I just started putting it all together. I was like, wait, like I don't necessarily need inventory. I can talk, I can market myself 
kind of in the same way I do as a writer. Um, I can, I can teach, I can write. So I can, I can do all these things and, and actually help other athletes do what I did and, and actually transition out of it. So the impetus was for me to get my degree as a psychologist, um, get licensed and, and literally not only just plug myself into the sport, but, but be the go-to guy for action sports. Um, and then what happened, it, it turned out that I was called to, you know, speak for my buddy's football team at some private school. And then somebody saw me there and then I got another phone call and then I started traveling and, and speaking for businesses and corporations and doing trainings. And lo and behold, the sports psych stuff and the high performance stuff works really well and translates really well for business and teams and sales trainings and customer service and all that other stuff. So that's that's what that's how it happened. Yeah, well, that's, that's an awesome story. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, there's so much in there that I kind of want to go into. I know. But one thing that I think was in, important that you said there is it, when you're working with a BMX athlete specifically, you're almost building a one man team. Like mm -hmm. you have like their mechanic or they might be their mechanic, but you, you have to make sure that their bike's running, you know, okay. It, you have at the high level and stuff, you have trainers. And I mean, even at the amateur level, I had multiple trainers um, growing up and, um, or coaches. And then you have maybe mm -hmm. a team manager or sponsors, you know, so like you say, you have to teach these people how to not only represent themselves, but how to be composed on the, on the track and in competition. And, you know, there, there's so many elements that I think is neat about BMX that mm -hmm. do translate so well into, uh, entrepreneurship or into business or into, you know, some of these other things that you mentioned. So that's a, a an awesome point. And originally we started this podcast to really do um, more of the fitness stuff. That's why our name, FAQ mm -hmm. Fitness, we're trying to talk about stuff like that. But uh, we've ended up in this rabbit hole where we're like, you know, our background as extreme sports athletes has a multifaceted um, answer to a lot of our clients' questions as far as like mindset and overcoming mm -hmm. objectives and, you know, just a bunch of stuff that it's not really just like um, A to B. Uh, training yeah it's not the process it's yeah. not the training i mean if you give somebody something to do and they follow it they stay consistent they're gonna get results like you you said it earlier and mm -hmm. that's that's just consistency i mean consistency counts and but my dad said it really well too um from what we did growing up um we just have this resilience and like this ability to like i'm sure that's that way with any other sport i'm not taking away from any other awesome you know uh, professional sport, but you just dial in, you focus on the task at hand, um, maybe get in a flow state, which I know we're going to ask you a couple questions about some books, but, um, you just dial in and you do what needs to be done. And like, there's nothing that can stop you from that. Yeah. Well, I, I will take away from other sports. Uh, and I believe BMX is probably the most, one of the most difficult sports ever. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not to say that motocross isn't because I, I know that's physically demanding and there is that racing aspect for sure. And it's it's individual tennis, uh, golf, obviously. Um, but as far as physical, mental and just like just the level of difficulty in the sport, like meaning your odds of being successful, even even at a shitty level, yeah. <laughs> right? even at a low level, like it, it's very difficult. So, for instance, I, I mean, I, I, I've talked to people who, you know, whether, you know, it's parents while I'm on the sidelines watching my kids play, 
you know, football or uh, what is it? Yeah. If I should say Friday night lights flag and uh, <laughs> soccer, soccer and basketball, but I'm talking all kinds of champions right next to yeah. me. And they might've won some little league that, or, you know, high school, this or whatever it may be. And I'm not trying to diminish their, that accomplishment. However, uh, we all know, uh, talk, you know, just being transparent, calling a spade a spade. You could be a bench rider and, and and walk away with a ring, right? You could be a bench rider and get that that Pop Warner this, or you, it, it happens. I yeah. talked to a, I talked to an NFL Super Bowl ring holder, right? Played with a very famous quarterback, and I'll just say from the eighties. I'm glad uh, you're not calling him out. <laughs> great, great guy, great guy. But you know what he said? He said. He goes, honestly, he goes, I didn't do much. He goes, I just played with this guy in college and I just settled in and I followed him all the way up. He, he made me look good. Cause I always played with him. And he goes, honestly, I'm like that. That's how I ended up with my ring. And I'm sure he was being a bit humble, but at the same time, like it, like, you know, my spidey sense is pretty good for that kind of stuff. And I believed it because mm-hmm. you, cause you wouldn't know this guy's name. It wasn't like, it, you know, he was the, you know, uh, a Tom Brady or something like that. Like he was, he was, he's a, he was a guy on the team. (laughs) So granted he executed his position, but there's also a lot to be said, you know, you want Joe Montana or Peyton Manning throwing you the ball, right? Like, Cause they're pretty damn accurate. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're going to make you you look good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, so, so yeah. So from a, so BMX, I mean, it, you know, everything from, yeah, it's on you. You're ex- like you get, you know, if you come out of the gate, you get cut off, you hit the gate, you get pulled, you get passed, right? You crash by yourself, like you bonk a jump, you do. <laughs> you bonk like it's just like, like oh my the, gosh, the, like you're um, you're you are literally school. out there. You are out there, right? Uh. Um, so so the resiliency is it's amazing. I mean, you're kind of set up to fail in that sport, and then on top of it just the attitude, right? Like, oh yeah, like jumping 40 feet is a good idea with with seven dudes or seven girls next to you. That's not a good idea. It's <laughs> never been a good idea. <laughs> but in your head, you think it's a good idea, right? So you go do it. That, so, that's probably from the concussions that you get learning how to jump yeah, that 40 foot double, some, you know? Something yeah. like that, but <laughs> crashing and getting back up. And then, yeah. so yeah, so when you do get your degree or you do go on a job interview, you join the the real world, it's like, like, like I always say, like, I always go for the best parking. And that comes from being a BMXer, just being like, no, <laughs> like I, want the I, best know, gate. <laughs> I know it's roped off here, but I see that spot there that nobody's taking. So I'm just going to go snake that spot. And that's just that's just how you if you can take that into whatever it is, then, yeah, you're going to you're going to be all right. Yeah, you know, more than all right. So all right, that's my soapbox. We're so similar. No, it, <laughs> that's awesome. That, that's awesome. Um, so I think a good place to go off of this, and I think that almost all BMXers, if they read this book, they'll really understand it. But it's talking about flow state, stealing fire from um, Stephen Kotler. Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel. Jamie Wheel. Um, mm-hmm. Have you read that book? Or are you familiar with that book at all? I'm familiar with it, but I haven't read it. Dude, okay. you've, you've got to. And yeah. The Rise of Superman. Actually, The Rise of Superman for BMX in particular, oh, man, it's it's awesome. So write down a note. You should read it. Let us know what you think. Uh, well, of The them. Rise of Superman has been recommended to me, for yeah. sure. It's a great book. There's some psychology in there, too. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, 
on that. Yeah, so I guess we could talk about a little bit. Um, but we could talk about Flow State. Let's yeah, yeah, it. let's talk about Flow State. Yeah, as far as BMX, and I mean, there's different levels of Flow State. And with you dealing with business and all sorts of other tort- sort of mentorships and stuff, um, and getting into a Flow State it can not only be like a one-man thing, but it can be a team thing. And group yes. flow. Yeah, group flow. And on the track, you know, you get a good line or something. That's a good five second flow or a 10 second flow, mm-hmm. you know, that you're getting into. And you're like, man, that felt awesome. And you're on that high for the rest of the night, you know, like maybe even for the week, like you're right. dialed in going to the next race. Cause you hit that line that you wanted to hit all week long. Um, but I think that it's hard for people to really understand that and, and how to optimize that in their lifestyle. So how do you help people get into that or relate to that that are not BMX related? So for me, I the best thing I can do is ask them when they were at their best. And and, and it could be like they were the they were the man in high school. <laughs> Right, walking down the hallway, and all the chicks were checking them out. But like that could have been that could have been their flow state, for all I know. Right? It it could have been it could be you know studying for the exam. It could have been um, you know the day they proposed, or 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 you know whatever whatever that might be. It could have been you know uh, child birth, or you know like the you know when when they when they hand hand the mom the baby the first time. Like whenever they were at their best or felt at their best. You know, that's where I try to take people, um, especially if, if they don't have much of a context for flow state uh, in a competitive sense or in a more, I guess, for lack of a better term, formal sense. And then I I work to break that down. You know, what were you feeling? What was it like? You know, and try to get them to articulate that sense, that feeling and what they were doing and how they were how they were moving through the world. Right. So from there. Um, my job is to then create triggers, you know, positive triggers based on that and connect those triggers to what they say they want or what they say they want to do so that they can, so that they can, they can get there sooner. Um, that's, that's the best way that I've found to do that. Uh, as far as group flow, you know, same thing, right? So uh, I, I remember I did a training at a school. They lost, uh, they were, they were, they were at a crossroads trying to make, trying to decide if they wanted to go charter or stay, you know, stay within the district and, and they kind of lost their way. So I took them as a group and I said, okay, what, you know, we got, we got, we went, we broke down what went wrong, where it went wrong and how the group kind of like fell into this like faulty belief system. And then I said, okay, well, when was it going the best for everyone? What was happening? What was going on? What was that environment like? What were you doing? What were you doing? What were you thinking? What words were you using? What were they saying? And their language changes. And then I can pull out behaviors. I can pull out language. I can pull out actions based on that. Just fundamental human, human behavior that helps promote more of a flow state. So if you can pull out that behavior, that language, those actions, um, actions, behavior, the same thing, then, or thoughts, I should say, and proactively begin to, and I will say, entrain that into your system, into your daily routine, into your prep, into whatever it is, then your, oper- your odds of meeting or getting to that flow state are much greater. So you, cause you can perform well and not necessarily be in a flow state. I think, I th- and that's the issue. I think the goal 
the target is to, to perform well consistently. Whether you hit flow state or not, for me, is, you know, that, that's, that's kind of like um, icing on the cake, right? And, and if you can get to the point where you can get flow, great. And I, I know a few people who can do that. But uh, to me, that's, that's definitely, a, I want to say a high-level training, but it's definitely an elevated, an elevated place of operation, <laughs> Do you mean um, it basically I, like intuition, like a like a high level of intuition for the the individual? Yeah, you know, or? for instance. So um, I don't know if you know Steve Veltman, V Dog. Yes. Right. So we're we're close friends, and what always amazed me about him because when I when we went when they went to Random Gate, I had a lot of trouble with it, even though I preferred it. But I had trouble with it because I was just a little late, little late, little late. And Steve had already finished racing, and I had a random gate at my house, and he gets on the gate, and bam, bam, bam. He was just knocking him out. I'm like, mother, dun, dun. right? <laughs> but it was the way he perceived time was different. Like, like for me, I had, I had to kind of create a trick, you know, to, like, get the right timing where he could just kind of, like, he was still able, even when it was random, to pick out the second horn. Like, <laughs> whoa right so that to me was just, you know and that's and to me that's his gift um that's his gift my gift is explaining stuff his gift is like doing stuff at a high level that way like he, he a lot of his career was that way and so so that's my example of someone like being able to like get into flow state he can just kind of do that and i think part of that is actually literally he's uh, he's more I would say more neurologically uh, primed to do so. Um, you know, he, he, he tends to be ADD. <laughs> yeah. um, whereas I'm not so much. So I think part of that is just like genetic predisposition. Um, and I, I, and I'm learning over literally like since I've finished racing to now I'm learning to, to heart, you know, to, to start to kind of bend time and, and kind of pick out those things now, but that's only after, years of teaching this stuff and studying it. So, so again, I, I don't necessarily, I, I want to help people get in a flow state, but, but above all, I want them to perform at a level at a high level consistency. And my intuition is that you will reach flow state more often doing that than trying to reach flow state first. If that makes do you, sense. Do you think like going along with your book, um, is it about the belief system that they have too? Totally. Totally. And, um, and, you know, even now I'm, I'm actually, so yeah, it's in that book and it's all BS. It's, you know, that's what the BS stands for belief systems and it stems, you know, I can go back to a lot of my successes or failures and I can, and I can go directly to some belief <laughs> that I had, whether I'd like to admit it or not, or some belief I didn't have. Yeah. Um, my next book, I'm going to go, um, and I think it's going to, I don't know what the title is. Maybe you guys can help me out. I'm either thinking um, more, better, happier or, uh, or win, play, live. But I'm, I'm leaning towards more, better, happier. But I'm going to go deeper into that because I think a lot of that stuff stems from not only your belief, but also the standards, right? The standards we hold ourselves to and our priorities. And so, um, so from a belief standpoint, a lot of a lot of the shortcomings we experience stem from some core belief that 
that um, about the world or about ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that that kind of spurred up in me is what do you think about like biohacking and this, the nootropics and these new methods and, or I should say new methods and techniques of kind of optimizing how to get into that flow on a consistent basis or how to, you know, prime yourself for uh, your day or that competition, you know, so that you're functioning not only physically at your best, but mentally at your best too. Right. So I think, and the word hack is funny. Um, I've heard you say that before. I knew <laughs> when you said that, I was like, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's funny because it's like, you know, I, I come from a, uh, it's so funny. I'm speaking like a dad, but I come from a generation where, um, you know, to be a hack is like, dude, like, well, you know, you're taking a shortcut. You're not quite there. You're kind of like, you know, faking it. And now it's like revered, right? Like, yeah, revered, like, you know, so we hack, <laughs> Our way, th- but but I, I'll put it this way. One thing I do like about work, working kids, teenagers, is I get to tell them everything that their parents and their teachers don't or are not supposed to tell them. Like I believe that's my job. And and one of the things I say to them is that, yo, uh, we're all just figuring it out. Like I know you're disappointed in your parents. You're- team or your coach but check it out that dude he's he's just trying to figure it out too yeah (laughs) like like i know he's your coach (laughs) i know that's your dad but check it out like he he you know especially first children like he doesn't done this before like he's figuring that shit out like you you know you know essentially we're all kind of hacking our way through life to a certain degree right Mm -hmm. so um i think I think as long as that hacking is leading to some real meaning, to some real purpose, then I'm okay with it. If it's just um, to get to get uh, to get the quick the quick once over, I, I'm not sure. So I kind of you know I, I like process, uh, and don't get me wrong, like. I don't, I don't blame Millie Vanilli for, for doing the limp sync thing and accepting the check. I really don't. Um, and for the younger people, you have to look that scandal up. Uh, <laughs> it's on YouTube. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's really an amazing story, but I think, yeah, I, you know, I wonder, I wonder if it's, I, I think there's some, what I like about some of the biohacking, at least from my limited knowledge of it, is it is tapping into, it is tapping into some Eastern thought. It is tapping into some Eastern medicine. It is tapping into, you know, our meridians, our energy system. It's acknowledging, right, this place outside of the traditional medical model mm-hmm. that that's one thing I do like. But I still think that even even with a hack, there's some depth to that hack. And at some point, right, learning that what that hack is about or or why it might work or how um, would probably be good for that person utilizing it. Well, I mean, you say this and like the listeners can't see your shirt, but it says train hard on there. And what I want to go with this is um, with the whole gate thing you were talking about. Oh, and race easy. This says, yeah, it's uh, Romero's shirt. Okay. Greg Romero's shirt. Yeah. It's a badass shirt. I want that shirt. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's not always about finding the easy fix. Sometimes it's just about putting the time in and training and, um, 
you know, not that training is everything like we talked about before, but, you know, if you want to figure out how to get your action time better on the gate, you're going to have to spend some time on it. You're not going to rely on, a, you know, a biohack. A pre-workout or a, a pre-workout yeah, for us. Right. You know, like, and I think that it's interesting to hear you say it because you take it from such a, a to like from both sides of the coin. You yeah. Know? Like you're, you're mm -hmm. taking it like, and and I think most people, they hear it and it's like the same as smart drugs and stuff like that. Like they hear that stuff and it's, it's a marketing tactic, you know, like it's them trying to really get you excited about it and give you a good connotation and to hear, some, you know, someone like yourself, just throw it into a, a, a tailspin. It's just really neat to hear that. Um, because I think that people do need to educate themselves on it. And oh, yeah. it is good that the Eastern medicine approach is coming um, to light in that sense and that they're kind of intertwining between Western and Eastern medicine. So, um, yeah, those are those are all valid points for sure. And I, what I think that we've for, failed to mention, which we're going to have to do in the intro, is your race background is far superior than most people in BMX. Um, so what are, like... Let's. Uh, what's your time period that you raced? What were your accomplishments? Actually, what we should do, I want to ask you something you always um, ask people on your podcast. What's your biggest win or achievement? Ah, see, uh, my see, biggest win. <laughs> uh, you did listen. So, okay. So, I, right, I believe I started uh, 79 or 80. Um, I want to say 79 just because it gives me an extra year, but I'm now that I look back, I think it might be 80, but that, that's my, that's when I started. So we're talking handheld gates. We're talking, um, one jump per straightaway. If that very rough rudimentary tracks, um, seems how the sport was born in let's say what, 74 or 72 or something like that. Do you guys have like coaster um, breaks? Um, there were some people on coaster breaks. One piece cranks were very common. Um, my brother and I, shared a bike uh, when we first started so so there's that um <laughs> what else what else so so that's when i started i sucked and when i say su like i was i just i shouldn't say suck but yeah my results sucked um i didn't care if i won or lost like i was really just like there because my brother raced and i just kind of liked literally how it felt going around the track and how the breeze blows in your face when you go around the track that's what i liked um so, so yeah, I didn't start getting decent at it until probably around 12 or 13. And I, and I was, when I was in New Jersey and the weather started to break and I decided, I asked my mom if I could ride to the track just cause I was bored and I rode to the track and it was in a park, EHT BMX. So it was, it was open, no gates or anything, but it was an open park type deal. So that became my thing in the first race of the year, local race, I won and everyone was surprised myself included. Mm -hmm. And so and then I remember like going the next week and I won again and then it became an expectation and something I wanted to do. And then I started racing more state series and stuff like that um, and becoming more competitive, you know, racing with more purpose, I should say. Uh, and then in the middle of eighth grade, I moved to Vegas and I was, and I was sucking on the national scale, by the way. So I was like a top five state rider in my age group, but nationally I was still like getting motoed. Um, and then I moved, then I went to Vegas once that one summer, went to a race, did pretty well. And then I went to, uh, then I decided to move to Vegas to live with my dad in the middle of eighth grade. And my dad said, well, if you want to race, then I want to see you practice, right? Because we didn't use the word train back then. And so I'd ride my rollers every night. 
And that's where the amazing leg speed came from. And then from then on, I was like consistently making national mains uh, and, and performing well and, and able to matriculate on up the, the factory ladder, as it were. So national number one age group, 17X, is where I'll start my, my, my kind of accolades. Um, then I, I turned pro at in 92, technically. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to turn pro to say I turned pro because I'm going to start college next year. So I was, I was a senior in high school, and I just kind of, no purpose. <laughs> ding, 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 no purpose. Just kind of <laughs> did it to did it and just kind of dicked around. Sorry for the language. And um, then I got to school, and my parents were like, you should get a, you need to get a part-time job. And those sucked. <laughs> so I said, I think I'm going to, you're right. And Auburn at the time gave me five races on my on my contract. I was like, well, so I looked at it like, all right, I have five races to turn double A. And um, the four, the fifth race, I was $300 shy of having the money, but I turned myself double A because I wanted them to pay for my first race as double A. And I did that, made my mains, and uh, came home with some money. And then before the end of the school year, I talked my dad into making – into uh, me two plane tickets one was to austin i think or maybe san antonio and the other one was rockford made one main in austin made like 150 bucks nothing then went to rockford made all my mains came home with like a thousand bucks paid rent was able to go to the next race and that's how it started and then um first big title was world championship title in 94 i made both mains cruiser and class i won cruiser and then um <laughs> A pretty funny story. So I won Cruiser, and I remember coming out of the first turn going, wow, I'm winning the world. And then in 20-inch, right, like, and then I re-ran it the same day. So I'm like, like, everyone's congratulating. I'm still, like, I'm, I'm, like, not being able to come down from being world champion to race my next world champion main event the same day. <laughs> and I remember being on the gate just, like, I just left late. And I'm like, damn, I'm losing the world. <laughs> so the same day, I had the same conversation with myself, you know, just the exact opposite conversation down, you know, coming out of the first turn, like, damn it. You know, like I'm losing the world. Um, so that was my first big title. And then, uh, from then on, I, I went on to, I made a lot of world event, world championships, main events, uh, working to win the, so that the 20 inch world champion title was eluded me. I was in contention for the NBL title in 2094. I ended up getting number four. I was in contention again for the NBL title in 2004, <laughs> 10 years, <laughs> 10,000 hours. Um, I think it was 2004. Yeah, 2004, and I ended up getting number three. Kyle won that year. Um, so a lot of top 10 finishes, world, between ABA, NBL, and world. And then I, uh, 2007, went to the Pan American Games, and I won that. So, so, so the term gold medal mindset comes from 94 to 2007. Those two wins earned me two gold medals. And the story is that when I won the first time, I didn't know how I did it, which I didn't. I just believed I could. And the second time I won it um, in the Pan Am Games at the end of my career, being the oldest guy on the gate, was I knew exactly how I did it. Um, and that was I believed I could and I knew how to – right. Um, access that belief so that's the that's that's that that's awesome um, man yeah wish i would have won more but i didn't um but if i you know it's funny like would i trade more wins 
and no titles? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like one of those, not that it has to be either or, because there's obviously people who have a lot, a lot of wins and a lot of titles, but I mean, for me to look back on a pro career and say that I, you know, I have a gold medal from the Pan Am games and a world championship rainbow striped Jersey. Like I'll take that. That's cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, it's something that neither one of us have accomplished at, at any level. So it, it's definitely honorable and I, you can relate with everybody. I mean, you've raced with everybody at this point, um, you know, except for some of the newer age riders and stuff, but yeah, I, so the, so of the current group of guys racing elite now, I think Sam, Sam said we did race. We were at least in the same class at the ABA grands in 2008. Mm-hmm. So technically we raced each other. Um, definitely Maris. Um, I think, I think Maris is, Maris is the last guy. I think. Yeah. So that's, that's quite a bit, (laughs) you know, and, and, and think about it. Like when I, my first turn double a, um, pistol Pete Lonkarevich was in my first moto along with, (laughs) I think Ellis or Townsend. So (laughs) Ellis, yeah. He was in like every magazine. No, I know it's it's so funny because I I mean hearing all those names again now this is twenty years from you know when I was running around with a dyno number plate and a marker <laughs> you know running up to everybody including I think yourself when you were on Mosh. That's um, funny. And uh, <laughs> you know just getting autographs, being stoked on autographs, yeah. you know like uh, and it's just. Uh, it's cool to hear, you know, just the the length of your career, and you you can tell that you're still passionate. I mean, you just raced just recently, did did you not? And um, got podi- yeah, got a couple podiums, yeah. So yeah, I know the whole thing. I got a couple podiums. I got DQ'd. Oh <laughs> shit! <I'm> good. <laughs> Throwing bows and no, like- I got DQ'd for cutting the, for for switching switching the course. Okay. Yeah, because if you, if basically they say, if, you know, once you decide to go the pro section, you kind of uh, have to go that way. I cased the jump before it, and I decided not to go in the pro you're section. Like the, you're like the transfer <laughs> like, safer. Yeah, so I did a little transfer into the amateur side, but that DQ'd me. But that's okay. I'm, I'm like, I was see, that was a growth moment for me because there was like no ego involved. I was super proud of not going the pro section. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's either it's either die and hurt a lot worse than you used to, or oh yeah, it just would have been stupid. Yeah, right. Yeah, I would have got if I rolled through it, I would have gotten last. So you know, what's the difference? Yeah. So you got a mountain bike, I I have heard, and you like it, right? Yes. So I I got a mountain bike and I love it. Um, I've I've always liked mountain biking, Uh, and then I think 2002 I got rid of them just because where I wasn't, I just didn't have the time for it. And where I was in my BMX career, you at that point in the game, you ha- had to choose like one yeah. or the other was, it wasn't like 94 where there was kind of like this back and forth thing. But by, by then it, everyone had been so um, esteemed in their relative disciplines that, it, you know, the choice was, was more necessary. Um, and yeah, so I got another GT has been great. And I, I got a mountain bike and I just fell in love with it again. And it was, it was challenging for me because when I rode mountain bikes before, like I wasn't that great. Like having a first straight doesn't mean anything in mountain bikes, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> going around loose corners and all that kind of stuff and suspension and braking and shifting. So there was a lot of stuff for me, like, you know, to work on and to get better at. And it, it re- it's, I believe it's really kept me sharp mm-hmm. on a bike in general. 
Um, and it's actually allowed me to, to approach BMX and when I get on the BMX bike a little bit differently and a little bit, um, you know, with more depth, with more, with more, with more of a knowledge base. So, so yeah, I, and I got another mountain bike, um, you know, so now I'm like super deep, like that bike was good, but then I like upgrade it. So I got, I got the, I got the team GT sanction and then I like splurged on this ridiculous rear shock and just like yeah it's i'm a total bike nerd so chuck rides full suspension i ride hardtail but that's i think what we did to keep ourselves from getting too many more tbis um at yeah. least that's what i did yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i i went to full suspension because i have a plate and 12 screws in my right wrist so um i race more of the endurance races and the cross-country okay. style races so it uh it, it was a lot more conducive to soak it up and after six hours of getting beat up by roots that's our biggest yeah. thing here is we have a lot of roots um right it's like i rode hardtail last year i still have my hardtail but i ride my full suspension when i can but what you have in <laughs> carlsbad is hills yeah um which they don't yeah, exist we in have, florida yeah so i i i ride up only to ride down yep <laughs> yeah so and it's a, it's a good little workout but like tomorrow i'm going to big bear Oh, that's nice. all lift that's all lift stuff so i'm uh, super my bike's jealous not set up for cross country but i will do a cross country ride just because it you know that's what's warranted i'll tell you what if we come out to california which i'm gonna drag this guy's ass out there at some point um, yeah it's totally we'll have worth to ride. It. it's totally worth it yeah. yeah oh yeah no well i'll have to get out there and and check out like you're saying there's a huge community um in biking and everything it's 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 stayed it, the kind of the heyday i wouldn't say heyday because i mean you've seen it all um to me heyday is like mid 90s when pros were treated like pros and they were mm -hmm. flown around and you know got food and room and board and everything and um you know now it's just uh the there's a lot less riders that are treated that way and um i feel like money is in certain sports and bmx is fading a little bit in that sense yeah it's it's a bit disappointing to I mean, I, I love that the people in BMX love BMX. I love that. Um, you know, I, uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff, you know, in our sport that could be taken care of. I think culturally there are some shifts. <laughs> we, I, I would like to see some shifts happen. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, Part of it is just fundamental human behavior. However, like in mountain biking, for instance, you know, I, I'm fortunate, right? I, I can, I'm, I have, I'm a brand ambassador for GT. I, I ride for GT. So, so there's, there, I get, you know, some deals, right? And, and, and they, they gave me a, they gave me a bike, which is just, I'm amazed at, right? I still own but, my GT box, by the way. Nice. Nice. Yes, it's hanging but, up. <laughs> but I, but here's the thing, like, I, what I've noticed about mountain biking, and this has actually always been the case, even like in the nineties when I, when I rode for giant was, was dabbling in some mountain bike stuff. I noticed that, you know, even like pros who weren't the main top dudes, like they still had to buy stuff, yeah. you know, like they might've gotten their bike worked on by that place because they raced pro but it wasn't like they just got stuff for free because they were pro, you know? So, so they held the value of the product was held in higher regard just 
just from jump, right? And then, and in BMX, um, you know, I don't think that's the case, which which is unfortunate. But I, th- I think part of that is, you know, comes from the people who who are racing and ride. But the other pe- part of it comes from I think some of the some of the companies because, and I, I lose that use that term loosely, but some of the people in the sport who have companies, you know, it's like they start a company and then they have a team and then the team has like 20 people. And then, you know, they get bikes. It's like, you know, I mean, if you, if you sold 20 frames, that's actually a pretty decent sale, (laughs) but if you give them away, right. And then, and then the people on that team is like, they switch teams and then those given away bikes get sold to the other people coming in the sport. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like there's no one's buying, you know, not much. I mean, if you go to a national, essentially everyone's sponsored. And I'm not saying like everyone gets free stuff. I know that. However, it's such a niche sport that, um, yeah, there, there is a lot of, I would say a lot of waste and, and there's a lot of expectation in that now that I'm expert, I want to ride, you know, I expect to be sponsored and, and sponsorship is, you know, free stuff. And, yeah. and, and the other thing too, is like, I don't think people value, I don't think people are valuing that stuff because like, for instance, when I, so I'm sponsored, right? GT and we're sponsored by, there's times where I didn't have my number plate. I remember in Phoenix, uh, I raced one day and then I left cause it rained, but I remember I didn't have a number plate. So I bought a box plate and was happy to do so. They'd only given me like 20 plates over the course of the last few years. Like, why not buy a plate? But I remember my buddy, one of my best friends is Daryl Cruz, who owns Sonic Speedworks, Sonic number plates. And I remember I would take number plates for him to give them to sponsored riders. Or, and I remember some of the people, like if, you know, like for whatever reason, a rider didn't have a plate. Like that rider who like Daryl would have given a plate to every race, like they'd show up with like an ATI plate or a bomber plate. And it's like, Really? Like I've given you plates every race and then you show up with that because you didn't so you didn't want to spend like twelve bucks on a plate after I've given you hundreds of dollars worth of product. But that's the mentality. Right? And those were like A pros and some of them were were double A pros, but it's like that's not one, that's not valuing the product, but two, that's not even like valuing what you do, in my opinion. I mean, I invest and you know if you go to school, I mean you learn right from jump. Like school's not cheap. No. Say what you want, whether it's worth it or not, it's not cheap. But the point is you learn to value that education and what you have to offer based on that education a lot more. And I think and I think coming up in you know, part of the thing with, with BMX from a cultural standpoint is because so many people expect this or be that or just searching for the deal. Um I was talking to a kid the other day, like like he was all been at like he, he didn't want to pay for training. You know, because he was getting it for free somewhere else. I'm like, yeah, dude, but your results aren't your results aren't showing it. Like, yeah, like, and and by the way, like, aren't you worth it to pay for your training? You know, like, you know, I, I that that's the one thing about our generation. Um, you know, Dale and Greg and V Dog and like, you know, we all like we all did whatever we could, even though we didn't have the technology or the, even the the knowledge back then. But we definitely paid to play our game like we all paid you know and then when that when, when the sponsorship was gone it's like all right guess i'm going to the races on my own whereas nowadays and i know it's tighter but nowadays it's like dude where are you at with with what you want to do 
Like, are you willing to invest in yourself? Because if you're not, it's going to be hard for other people to invest in you. Anyways, I another soapbox. No, that, yeah, that's that, cool. That was I like a soapbox. Awesome. I mean, it's it. That was one of the most frustrating things to me because I ran the privateer route a lot. You know, like I had mm-hmm. sponsors, but they were you know co-sponsors mostly, and they helped me. There were people that helped me out at races, so I tried to support them the best that I could. You know, like I'd tell people, right. "Oh man, you know, so you know, Gus over at Profiles." The, the man, you know, like he will always help dial in your hubs or tighten up your cranks or whatever. Like, and that's why I liked to, to wear, you know, a, a profile patch or put a sticker all over my stuff. And right. I mean, it, and then it was frustrating when you'd see riders doing exactly what you're saying and just selling secondhand their stuff, you know, that they got given to them for free for profit for them to, you know, not even go to the race, you know, when they're still asking for more and more and more. And um, it, it is just kind of a corrupt mentality. And I'd say a lot of sports, but you do see it in BMX specifically um, where they, you know, nobody wants to support the people that have supported them until they need something. Yeah. And um, that, that's just the wrong mentality, but I'm glad you brought that up because that's, that is something that I feel is a huge flaw in sports in general is everybody has these high expectations that they should be able to get, you know, get, 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 and they never do enough. You know, they're like, they need to realize, are they even doing enough to, to deserve yeah. that? Honestly, like it was crazy. Someone to me, someone said to me in South Park, which they, they said to me, like, you are the, literally like two people pretty deep in BMX racing. I'm not going to say the industry, but deep in racing. They said, you are the, you are the face of GT. And I'm like, that's, that's awful. That's <laughs> awful that I'm the face of GT. <laughs> right. And, and I, I, I know that's their perception, but it's like, okay, those are two, two guys, two dads. Um, you know, they, they go to pretty much every race, but I was just thinking, wow, like that's a problem. I mean, cool for me that, I mean, I, you know, I hope I can, I'm providing GT with a lot of value. Um, I think I am, but, but the point is like, that's, that says a lot about the state of the sport to where, you know, I joke and I've joked with the top guys like me and Dale, like, you know, cause we're around a lot of the riders. It's like, like, yeah, man, like Dale and I still got deals. You guys don't. Yeah. Like, so obviously something's wrong with how you guys are running it, <laughs> you know, whether, you know, whatever it is, like, I don't know what that's about, but you know, you, you guys weren't going to want to work that out. Um, you know, so the game has changed. Right. And, and it goes to like, you know, are you about the racing or are you about the training? Is it about, you know, is it about how many likes you have or is it about the actual engagement? You know, like, who are you reaching? Like, what is, what is you about, man? What <laughs> is you about woman? You know? And so, so for someone to say that to me, I was like, I was, I was, you know, I didn't know whether to be impressed or, or bummed out because, um, yeah, it was, it was just kind of weird. Cause you know, last I knew like Gary Ellis was the face of GT for BMX, you know, and then Thomas Allier and then, you know, Tommy Brackens at a time, but, but not a vet pro, not me. No, you know, so, so that's, that's the thing. But, but that, why is that? Because I'm posting and I'm writing and I'm speaking and I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm like acknowledging the sport and my sponsors and what it's about. So I don't know. I think what I gather from that too, is you have a healthy love for both 
just the sport and also the business side of things. You don't disrespect either one. Like you still love to do it or else you wouldn't like, I mean, there's a lot of people out there I feel like are just so business minded when it comes to not only BMX, but um, any other sport like CrossFit has become such a big thing for people like I'm going to win this and it's all about this. And, um, you know, with our community of fitness, you have people that are only going to compete if they have a sponsor and a physique show or, you know, bikini. Right. And they're only legitimate if that's the case, not the amateurs who are just like, hey, I love to lift and I want to see if I can become the best I can be. Right. Right. No, no, you nailed, that's it. And that's like, this might be a Facebook live here, but that's my thing. It's like, I was telling it to this rider at dinner in South Park. It's like, you know, I said, close your eyes. What, what is it you would do? What in your, in your heart of hearts, what is it you want? And, and he said it, I'm like, okay, well, why isn't that the plan? Why are you talking to me? Like, this is a job interview right now. Like, just what do you want for your life? What do you want out of the sport? That's your plan. And, and I was telling him, I said, when I was racing, I wanted to race. Like, I to ra- of course, I wanted to be a top guy. Of course, I wanted to be sponsored. I wanted to be paid. But the bottom line was, either way, I was going to race, right? Like, and even right now, like, if, of course, I want to be a top paid speaker. Of course, I want to be, you know, maybe have a TV show. Of course, I, all that stuff. I'll take it. I'll do it. I'm down. I'm ready. But check it out. I'm still going to speak, whether it's to one person or 1,000. I'm still going to help people, whether it's one person or 1,000. I'm still, you know, I'm still going to do my thing, regardless of what name is on my back or who's writing my check. Like, I'm still going to do it. And I think it's a lot easier for someone else to buy into your dream <laughs> when you're living it versus like, oh, no, I'm not going to live it until you buy it. And, and, I, and I see that all the time. Those are, those are like fatal flaws. Like as soon when people say, "Yeah, I had to quit because I didn't have a sponsor," I'm like, "What? <laughs> really? Like, that's why? I mean, and I, I'm not here to like spend people's money or just kind of like I recognize some people come from more dire situations than others, but for the most part, like, come on, like, like quit. Where like, there's a will, there's a way. Lo- not even race locally. Not even like do like say, "Hey, I'll do a, I'll do a, a clinic for the local track if you let me race for free." Like. You know, not even, you know, be a berm official at the national. To, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. is you are you about it or are you not? You know, and that's that's not about like how you value yourself. That's really just about that's more than how you value. That's really about how much you're willing to invest in yourself. You know, Wade Boots did it. He traveled with ABA and, you know, worked it and, you know, Warwick Stevenson ate hot dog buns and like just made it happen until it happened. He was going to do it anyway. They were going to do it anyway. My whole generation, we were going to do that. We were going to do it anyway. And, and we did. And that's how it, that's, in my opinion, aside from like the money and the sponsors, I think that, that's how we kind of like took it up. That's how we took it up another level. It's just our intensity up. Yeah, that's awesome. So much in there. I'm like, what am I going to start this podcast with? Uh, you use so many good quotes, man. Yeah, no, you're always uh, you're always a motivating person to speak with, and um, you know, it, it's impressive to see, like Parker said, both your professional passion and your business passion as well. Thank and, you. And how you tie those together, and you actually said it really well in your book about how people don't focus on separating their brand and themselves, and 
I, I think that's such an important switch for people, you know, that you have to understand how to enjoy every aspect of what makes your world, you know, run, you know, because mm -hmm. it, it's not enough people focus on that. And uh, you, br you definitely bring light to that in not only your book, but a lot of your uh, Facebook lives and a lot of your, your little feeds and stuff. So it's, it's awesome. We, we believe in what you're doing and uh, you definitely Thank have you. the gold medal mindset. For sure. Thank you. Right. Any more questions, man? What's next? What's next? You, oh, you're gonna ask me that question—the one question I ask everyone else. That's uh, actually like three, winning. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's three, but yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's your show, so you can ask me. What, you can ask me whatever you want. I, I, I really, pretty much. I've heard you answer this, but what is your biggest win? Oh man, man! Now I'm worried that I might not say the same one. But, That's okay. Um. I, I think from racing standpoint, from a racing standpoint, I, I would say it would be uh, Pan American Games or actually like that was like my biggest win. But I think but but really, there's like another big win, which is like not a big win. I won a race in Del Mar oh. um, and it was the year it was like my best, my fastest year. Like I was I I was up for the NBL title. I blew it at the worlds didn't win that and and you know the guy who won the nbl titles kyle bennett the guy who won the worlds is work stevenson he was in del mar says san diego so i'm at home at a national and i'm between those two in the gate and i won that race it was just a, just an aba national <laughs> but but that was one of my that was actually like a really gratifying personally gratifying win that one in, in a pan am games the pan am games because obviously i was at the end of my career and it was something that i could like, put in the record books for, for good, you know, and, and, and candidly something that other people would recognize like outside of BMX, like people, you know, aside from the Olympics when I was pre Olympic year, um, you know, that, that's a pretty big stage. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then what was it, um, personally, non-racing? Personally, uh, non-racing it's coming on the way. <laughs> it's it's it is it's i'm on my way it's it's i'm on my way to the to my biggest win and but what, um what about your biggest loss Woo! biggest loss um i have several in bmx and that would be kentucky world championships and it would be the 2004 world championships in the netherlands um, those would be, those would be the two, those would be the two biggest, uh, and it would also be saying no, <laughs> it would also be saying no to, to a sponsor that offered me, uh, a sponsor. And I said, no, <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to, um, but now you're the face company. of GT, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm not the face of GT. That would, that would definitely not be me. Um, yeah. So that, that would be my biggest loss racing in life. Um, my biggest loss, which I'm okay with is, is not having started all of this sooner. Um, you know, uh, you know, Greg Romero has been a really good example to me of someone who's like, really entrepreneured and created something and done something and, and been smart about, um, 
you know, making his wares, doing something that, that he knows how to do well, um, and marketing that and bringing it to people. And for me, I, you know, even I was kind of, um, subject to, to a more traditional belief system, candidly, right? Like go to school and then get my license and then, right. So like kind of like putting off all this stuff that I wanted to do. And I, I think there were ways I could have started this all sooner and, and I didn't. Um, and you know, lessons learned, but that, that would be the biggest, the biggest loss. So that's kind of like, it's probably be like a chapter in my next book. Start yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a great quote in itself. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that should be the new year book. <laughs> I thought about that. I thought about that. I'm actually, so I am looking at data stuff. <laughs> I tested, I tested my first two titles Okay. Um, with a marketing group. So, so I will test that one as well, but, but apparently the money stuff, the mindset stuff and, uh, and the business stuff seem to seem to be the ones that people gravitate towards. So yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely, like I said, from reading your first book, uh, it's all BS that, that changed my mindset at that point. Um, to, it, it was kind of like right when we started our podcast, cause it would have been this time last year. And, um, yeah, it, we've been doing this for exactly a year now. Uh, I think in like five days. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. On the 30th, it'll be our, our one year anniversary. So happy anniversary. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, man. Right. It's, it's been a, a cool journey. And like you're saying, like, I love that answer. You said like the best is to come, you know, like that's, that's like the, the best way to, to really set yourself up for success. And that's what your book helped me personally with, you know, after completing it was, I was like, okay, my belief system is backwards, more traditional, like you were saying, and I need to break out of my shell a little bit and start focusing on the things that I, for one, don't want to do, but for th for two, the things that I know need to get done. And um, mm -hmm. it just, it, like I said, that was that's a little personal testimony. But you know how hard it was to get him to do this podcast a year ago. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he was he was so like personal training, personal training, school. But you know, you've grown a lot though. Yeah, no, yeah, it's cool. been both it's have. been neat to to grow and develop, you know, both professionally and kind of personally in this sense. And and we've definitely gotten out of sh out of our shell more. And um, you know, it's great to have people like yourself that are very like minded in you know just trying to put out a very positive message mm -hmm. and trying to you know break away from some of the myths and the misunderstandings that people have about training and philosophy and mindset and just uh, everything. So. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. So where can we find you? Um, where can our listeners find you and check out your podcast and your book and all that? Okay, so the podcast is on iTunes and on my website. My website is drjasonrichardson.com. That's drjasonrichardson.com. The name of the podcast is Gold Medal Mindset, where we discuss all things winning in business, sport, and life. Um and the best place to find me, other I, I really want to drive a lot of people to my website and get on my mailing list. And uh, my my dream, my hope, my want is that people listen to me and they're like, I got to have this dude come in and speak to my team. I got to have this dude come in and speak to my school. I got to have this dude come in and speak to my sales, whatever. Like, that's what I want. Um, or I got to have come this dude come in and do a screen test. He needs a TV show. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the dream. So I'm putting that out there in the universe. Uh, Facebook is another good place. 
Um, I have a, I have a uh, public figure page, business page, and, and I do a lot of Facebook lives there and I'm super accessible. So pretty much if you ask me anything, I will do my best to answer it. And if you contact me, I, I will not even do my best. I, I get back to you. Yeah. It was like instantaneous for us. Yeah. You're, you're (laughs) really good about that. And, um, you know, to hear that your your focus is in the keynote speaking, I think you do a good job at that. And, For sure. And um, I think that you know people are definitely would be capitalizing on a, a great opportunity to meet up with yourself to to get their mindset and get some of the things in line with what they're trying to accomplish. So we'll keep pushing you out too, man. Like you have some awesome stuff, so we'll keep yeah, pushing it on ours. It, appreciate it. And let me know how I can uh, how I can add value to what you guys are doing or. Uh, engage with your community or any of that. So I'm down. Absolutely. Absolutely, All right. On that note, thanks for being on, man. Yeah, Jason, appreciate it. Dr. Jason Richardson, uh, Dr. J. Rich, whatever. (laughs) What do you, what do you, what do you prefer nowadays now that you're a doctor, right? What's the, I know what's the the stipulation on that? (laughs) It's so weird. Right. So like, um, it, it sounds somewhat pretentious and, and then like my, like people remind me, like even my dad was like, "Oh, doctor." It's like, oh god. <laughs> well, that's the degree they gave me um, that I earned, by the way. But um, but you I, can call me Jason. I like I like doctor I like Doctor J Rich. Yeah. There is no other Doctor J Rich, and I like that. And it's 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 official enough and playful enough, which that's how I roll. Yeah, agree. Okay, yeah. so that's what we'll put on the on yeah, that's what we'll put. podcast. Doctor J Rich. So. It's gonna be Doctor J Rich. Start yesterday. <laughs> yeah, awesome. That's it. That's it. There we go. So yeah, and if you come out to Cali, let me know. Um, sure. And we do have room at the inn. If uh, so, so we're good with visitors. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. awesome man. Well, if you're down this way, I know we. I have a spare room at our it house. Does. You're uh, you're more than welcome uh, to stay at it. So. I'll actually be i'm actually going to florida on tuesday oh okay. really nice but i'm flying into orlando and i'm staying with uh, my buddy greg okay okay and Very we're, cool. we're gonna do like the disney thing which is like but i'm gonna be i'm bringing my bike just to ride orlando nice cmx there you go awesome well have a great trip uh hey, man. we're looking forward to seeing all of your ventures and everything you're getting into and uh as always we appreciate yeah appreciate it guys thanks a lot all right buddy all right see ya thank you for listening to faq fitness podcast if you liked our show leave us a five-star review on itunes for more workout programs video resources and to ask your fitness questions check out our website at faqfitnesspodcast.com 